What is it like to be truly and deeply heard? Welcome to The Good Word. I'm Jody Washburn, host and study guide author for this 13-week series on the Book of Psalms. Joining me in conversation are Tiago Ajais and Matilda Fry, both professors in the School of Theology. You know, they say about humans that one of our deepest needs is to be truly seen and heard or truly known and fully loved. But I wonder what you could say about what is it like to be deeply heard, truly seen? I think it is something that happens, if it happens between two people, it is some of the most intimate connection that exists, um, where you are aware that you can express and say and be yourself fully. And it is that, that, uh, that... that moment of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a risk there, yeah? Mm-hmm. It's uh, tricky noticing it in myself and then as a pastor for the last five years, noticing it in the congregation where you're trying to create a community, a space where people can truly be who they are. They can truly feel heard, embraced, and welcomed. And, and the interesting outcome of that is that although you're right, Jody, that is one of the deepest human needs it is truly deep down what we all desire to experience that radical openness towards somebody else. But it's also the one thing that we radically avoid. You We're know? terrified. Of no, we don't want it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, it's easier just to go to a community or to a club or to a, where, where we stand on the superficials. And you go home because you don't want to go through the anxiety or the negativity or the risk of being too open or too straightforward about who you truly are. So when you ask that question, I feel the tension in my own heart of, of what I've seen, what I've experienced, what I've tried to create. The good, I think Matilda's completely right, that's sublime truly when it actually, when you, when you find a partner, a friend, a, a spouse, a, where you're able to connect at that level, a community, mm-hmm. rare, extremely rare. Um, but it also reminds me of the risk of, of of all of that, a risk that God himself takes in becoming the incarnation is that, re- that that very risk of God opening himself up to feel, to experience things um, in a radical different way and um, to the point of death. So so the tension is also there. Um, so I don't have an answer. I just have a mm-hmm. feeling of this tension of tension. the good, yes, but also the risk and in, in, in how we avoid the one thing that we truly desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, it was interesting Thinking about this question this morning, the image that came to my mind was an interaction with my daughter where I was um, stressed and my go-to sort of emotional state is irritability. So I walked through the living room and I blurted out something like, oh, I'm just a bundle of irritability today. And she blurted right back at me, oh, mama, you are a bundle of love. And it didn't feel like a contradiction. Mm. It felt like her naming the fact that we are all of these things. Mm -hmm. We long to be okay, right, in our um, woundedness, in our overwhelm, and to be seen not as any one thing, but to be allowed to be, to hold all of these things, right, and to be seen for the bigger picture. And so going to that idea that you mentioned, Matilda, of like the the vulnerability, but also the incredible intimacy of having others in our lives. And I believe in the Psalms, there's a sense in which God does this for the 
for the writers, for the speakers, to see the betrayal and pain and fear and the joy and praise and gratitude and to to see all of that as part of who these people are. But I do think um, I, we should not forget, I think you mentioned it, Iago, earlier in, in our another lesson. This is the this is the person who speaks. Yeah. The person who un, who experiences that moment where the person say, says, I know I am hurt. Or we as a community, we are heard and seen by God. So it's not God saying, I hear you, I see you. Mm -hmm. But it is the community and it is the individual psalm um, singer or prayer person who says that and who experiences that moment. That also tells me that the psalms, as we read them in the text, uh, need to be seen in my life, the way I can create that moment, I can um, recognize that moment and I can express it in a word. And with that, I put myself into the uh, community of the psalm, psalms people yes. of ancient times, uh, even though I am today here in our world. So the psalms have to have to be like taken on by us today and brought into our world and experience today. Yeah, they are the experience of people. It brings it brings up an interesting question to me because throughout the Hebrew Bible, and I I hesitate to even speak about this because every time I have a feeling I put my finger on one aspect of it, I find an example that doesn't fit. You know, so it is not a it's not an absolute at all. But a general observation is that throughout the Hebrew Bible. You have God depicted, you know, as as hearing and seeing and with hands that and with, um, you know, knowing, being concerned about. And many, many texts will say that as a preface to interpreting a certain experience as God's intervention. Okay, And sometimes the intervention is terrifying, as in God stood up and vanquished the enemy. Okay, and sometimes it's it's um, has the connotation of maybe intimacy, nurturing uh, a sort of calming presence. But many, many times throughout the Hebrew Bible, this idea that God hears, that God sees, then goes directly. Right, the text goes next to some kind of intervention that that God acts on behalf of the people. And I just wonder, um, Matilda. Thinking about this dichotomy that you mentioned, where we, we need to ask how these processes play out, right? God hearing and delivering, like, what does that mean for me in, this, in the communities that I inhabit? But we also need to be open to be shaped and touched by the world of the psalmist. So some of these examples of, you know, wake up, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, stand up. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery? Um, look down from heaven and see what parts of this poetry that captures the idea of God's responsiveness to the plight of humanity in terms of his seeing and hearing. What parts do we need to look at from the world of the psalmists, right? And then what can we think about when applying those ideas? Do we see God's seeing and hearing as 
evidence that he's distant, right? He's so far away that he's got other things going on and, oh, we need to remind him to look down upon us? Do we see it as a way of interpreting when we feel like God is responsive or not responsive to our situation? Uh, I think the psalm, for example, the psalms that we have in our lesson this week, Psalm 44, I believe, is mm-hmm. part of our, our lesson here and so on. These are built on um, on experiences that are full of extremes. And um, especially the, the, the Exodus period, mm-hmm. uh, the, ex- the people in Egypt. And you, the passage that you just read, uh, wake, awake, Lord, why do you sleep? If we are able to see behind those that question the people who suffer in slavery in Egypt, and that suffering goes on for many, many years, generations mm-hmm. of people go through that on a daily basis. And so the question is uh, put out there, and it seems as if the sky is a metal dome. And there is no answer, there is no relief. Um, life gets harder instead of like mm-hmm. better. So the Psalms speak to that kind of experience. Now, when we bring one to like speak the same Psalm in our world today, and we forget that in our world, while we praise God and we come together and we worship and sing songs and are full of thanksgiving, that there are so many moments where we ask and say, God, where are you? Awake, give me an answer. And we kind of like uh, smooth over those those moments, especially when we are in public with our communities, mm. that it seems that oh, we we are all just fine. And that is when the Psalms lose their power. Mm. Oh, my. I agree wholeheartedly with Matilda. Um, Simply because I I guess two things come to mind hearing you, Matilda. I mean, you mentioned the Exodus. And in Exodus, we learn very quickly that crying out to God is also prayer. Mm -hmm. That the pain, that the, the tears, that the grief, generational, they rise up to God and God listens to. But the one thing that made that you made me think about is sort of a difficult um, memory I have. We already had Benjamin, our son, and my wife, Paula, she uh, was pregnant with twins for a while until she lost them. It was a very difficult, um, probably the darkest time of our relationship as a family, as a couple. Um, brought a lot of grief, a lot of pain. And I remember the first time I went to church, Matilda, after that experience, which was sort of maybe within the same week. So it happened throughout the week. It was awful. It was difficult. I said, I'm going to go to church. And, and I remember nothing from the first prayer to the last prayer, and everything in between made sense to me. Mm-hmm. It's as if I was living in a cocoon until then and realized for the first time, if people come in here suffering like I am, and if this is what they get, then this applies to nothing. This this resonates in no way. So I hear you, Matilda. I guess there is ample need for more space to experience the rhythms of the Psalms in that way. Because no, not everybody is sort of in the rhythm of just joy and celebration, which is perfectly fine. There's a lot of people suffering in our community, beyond our community, and I think there's something to be said about that. Paul and Silas in prison, they they worship in the darkness in the midst of prisoners. I remember that in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. So I've always carried that with me, that there's something about worship 
in the company of those who suffer. That makes sense to the early church, and that should make sense to us too. Yeah, and when that aspect of human experience is not named, when there's not space for that in our communal worship, it's incredibly isolating. It's lonely. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you both. This is a wonderful reminder that we, in our communities of faith, we get to tell and retell these stories, and we can create moments of healing. Thank you both for being my conversation partners in this lesson, and thank you also to Ben Busby and Rick Basket, our program engineers, and to you, our listeners. Thanks for t- tuning in. For The Good Word, I'm Jody Washburn. You've been listening to Good Word, a production of the School of Theology at Walla Walla University and KGTS-FM. To order a copy of today's broadcast, you can call 509-527-2194. Thanks for listening, and we'll be here next week at this time with Good Word.